Welcome, my name is Tom. This is the Enthusiasm Project Season 8, Episode 7, and today we're going to talk all about probably the most exciting topic in the world, video editing software, and the minute differences between them. I'm actually very excited to talk about this, as sarcastic as that sounded. This is uh, a topic that I've had planned for a while, but I just kept pushing it back because other things just sort of felt more timely. And so I'm super excited to kind of dive into this today. But another thing I'm super excited to dive into is the sponsor for this episode, which is Riverside.fm, which I've been talking about all season. And as you probably know, I've used for a long time myself. If you're unfamiliar with Riverside, I don't know how you could be at this point, but if you are, Riverside lets you easily record studio quality, remote audio and video from anywhere with no latency, regardless of internet bandwidth. I don't really know how they do that. It's magic and it's really nice. Riverside automatically records locally to each participant's computer and then uploads all of that to the cloud. So that means that your guests don't have to do anything and you'll still get full quality isolated audio and video tracks for each person. This is a very big deal to me because I think the easier you can make it on a guest to be a part of your show, your stream, whatever it might be, the better. Like the the less legwork that a guest has to do, the better for everybody. And Riverside is really great with that. Those locally recorded files are supported all the way up to 2164K video and 44.1 or 48,000 kilohertz audio. So whether you're doing just an audio only thing or an audio and video thing, it'll work out pretty great. And making things easy on guests also includes that there's a mobile app to make things just as smooth as possible. You can just take those recorded files and publish those immediately. Or if you want to have a little more control and change things, you can put them in your editing software of choice, maybe one of the options we'll talk about today, and you can have separate audio and video tracks for each person. So if that sounds good to you and you'd like to give Riverside a try, use the link in the description of this episode along with promo code TOM15 for 15% off your subscription. Thank you again very much to Riverside.fm for sponsoring this episode and this entire season of The Enthusiasm Project. They are the very first sponsor ever, other other than me and my wallet, <laughs> of this podcast. So I appreciate that very, very much. And my wallet does too. And talking about editing software, let's just jump straight into this. So the world of editing software, this is, let's set up some context here. Everything I'm talking about, for the most part, is just my my opinion from my point of view. And the reason I wanted to share that is because I think maybe it will be helpful. The world of editing software can sometimes be confusing. And if you're new to video editing, maybe you don't know where where to start. You know, what program should you learn? Should you invest the time in learning? And if you've been doing it for a while, sometimes you might feel like, oh, did I put too much time into the wrong software? Or, or should I be learning something else? Like, is the software I'm using, you know, it, does it not really have a future? And so I, maybe I should be learning something else. So that way my skill set doesn't just dry up and disappear too. Definitely want to talk about that along with, you know, just sort of the the evolution of this stuff, of these tools over the years. So everything is pretty much just from my own point of view, but I'm hoping that can be helpful or interesting to you as well. But, you know, feel free to uh, question that or push back against it or, you know, ignore it entirely because it all is all just my own point of view. But 
I am happy to say that I do have a lot of experience with editing software because when I started editing videos and I'm using giant air quotes, it was tape to tape, VCR to VCR. So to go all the way from that to what we have now, where you can just pull up your phone or, you know, I saw Artlist just released, just revamped everything where now instead of just royalty-free music, you have like an online editor, templates, stock footage, royalty-free music, like all in one place. And it's all just on your browser, uh, which is crazy. So even things like, you know, TikTok or TikTok. Oh God, I sound like I'm a thousand years old. You know, TikTok, (laughs) whatever the kids are using these days. But all like the, you know, uh, like, social media apps that have video editors built into them, super simple stuff that people are just using on their phones. So the spectrum of video editing software has never been like more broad. And much like cameras, a lot of the, I guess, more pro or at least paid software is all pretty great. So the way, the same way that there's no such thing as a bad camera these days are just sort of, you know, strengths and weaknesses and personal preference. I think video editing software is very similar, especially once you go beyond the free stuff and go into the paid stuff. They're all pretty capable, and a lot of it comes down to personal preference and personal workflow. But unlike cameras, I don't think editing software has evolved quite as much to the point where cameras adds cameras. I think that there are still some pretty important differences between some of the main software. And I think that also there are things that can make massive differences in your personal workflow and just your frustration levels or lack thereof. So That's why I think it's kind of an important thing to discuss. Now, we're going to be focusing mainly on Final Cut Pro, DaVinci Resolve, and Adobe Premiere. Not because those are the only ones out there, but because those are some of the more popular ones, especially for like the independent, you know, individual creator. I feel like that's kind of the trio that you're probably going to be choosing from, or at least honestly that I would recommend you choose from. There are other options out there. There's like Sony Vegas. There's all the free stuff like Windows Movie Maker and iMovie and LumaFusion is a great like iPad app for mobile editing, which is actually like super cool and powerful. And, you know, there's all kinds of other stuff out there. And then there's the super pro stuff like Avid, which um, is a really weird piece of software that we will definitely be talking about. So that's kind of why I'm focusing on those three right now. But to give you some context of where I'm coming from, like I said, when I started video editing, so I was born in 1985. If it just, I know I look super youthful and you're like, wow, I thought you were like, you know, 16 years old or whatever. False. <laughs> I turned 37 this week. So um, I was born in 85 and I started using a video camera for the very first time when I was about four years old, which was very much just like, you know, being handed an old handy cam and then running around the house uh, shooting what looked like the Blair Witch Project because it was so shaky and blurry. And the camera, of course, was zoomed in fully the whole way as I'm running around the house and I have no idea what's happening. But hey, that kicked it off, right? <laughs> and then as I got older and still really liked using cameras, that's when I discovered, oh, editing is a thing, which started really simply eight millimeter cameras and tape cameras. It's not like files on SD cards where you shoot all your different files and you have to see them. Everything just plays in sequence. So you can do in-camera editing very easily just by being very specific on when you start and stop recording. And that's how, you know, that's basically how I and my friends and I would make all of our little movies when we were kids, which I realized as I get older, all the movies we made when we were like, I don't know, 10, 11, 12 years old, they're basically Steven Seagal movies. Like it's like the exact same plots with less strip clubs because we were 11, 12, or 13. 
but it's literally like it's just the plot of most Steven Seagal movies and I think that that's fine when we were 11 or 12 but he's like 70 and he's still writing these same plots and they had just as much continuity and made just as much sense as his movies do that's probably a topic for another day but anyway that's what we do in camera editing and it always felt so so good when we could get something exactly right in camera like you know, I don't know, someone walking through a door and it just, instead of seeing the door open twice because the cut was wrong, making it look like it was one smooth motion and, you know, a nice smooth cut from one side of the door to the other, something like that always felt really cool, trying to play with special effects and things. And then we got a little more advanced because we learned that you could record like from the eight millimeter camera to a VHS tape in the VCR and back and forth. So you could do versions of editing course every time you do that every time you record something from one analog tape to another analog tape you lose a little bit of quality and you go back and you lose more so by the end it's a pretty jumbled mess but it definitely taught a lot about you know being a little more intentional with what you're going to edit it started letting us shoot out of order so especially as we got more into maybe being like 13 14 15 years old that was where it was like okay we you know we can go to this place and we can film all these scenes here. And then we can go to this other place and film all those scenes there. And then we can put them together out of order, you know, later on, which is something we can never do before. It didn't look great, but it worked. (laughs) Um, It definitely worked. And there was always, again, something that was really special when things would match up. I remember a thing I liked to make was like, um, I guess it would almost be like just a travel vlog, you know, a lot of like going on a trip Here's footage of the place set to music, uh, but not as nearly as slickly edited as things are now. But doing that on a VCR when you could like actually get to a point where you were like cutting to the beat was pretty amazing and very, very difficult to do and sometimes just happened by accident, but still a really fun, rewarding thing. And then I remember, um, let's see, I started high school in the year 2000. And I took a video production class, of course. And while during that year, we didn't really have, we had like four Sony Handycams and a couple of VCRs to edit with. But during that year, the class got an iMac. Like, I guess it was, it was the iMac DV. That's what it was called. DV for digital video. Because it was the first one that had a FireWire port. So you could take a digital camcorder, connect it directly to the iMac and then import the footage which anytime you import footage from tape, it's real time. So if you film 45 minutes of footage, guess how long it's going to take to import? 45 minutes. But yeah, it was iMac DV with iMovie 1.0 on it. And that was amazing. Like I was never involved in extracurriculars in school. I never, I wasn't involved in anything in school ever, honestly, which was a mistake. But the only times I can remember staying like until the sun went down at school or till the teacher kicked us out because it was like, I got to go home and you guys are here too late was after that iMac came in and we got to work on projects. You got to edit projects. And it was just the insanity of the way it used to work was you would import all of your footage. And so you would have this long 45 minute video clip and then you would go through that and you would break it down into clips. So you, you would go through and like, basically put in and out points for different clips and then you'd have all your clips organized and then you could drag them down into a timeline and reorder them. And that's it. I think you could have like two layers of video, maybe two layers of audio. It was pretty minimal. It wasn't like unlimited, just as many layers of audio and video as you want. Um, but it was, 
that was magic. And then I remember that same time as when Apple released their commercial for like an iBook where it had a guy editing a movie on a plane. Um, the guy was, um, I can't remember his name. He's in that show that's really sad where like the family, I don't know, the family's everybody's crying all the time. But he was also in Gilmore Girls and he was also uh, like Sylvester Stallone's Rocky son. Um, he's like the guy in the commercial. And it's really funny because he's in like the middle seat and he pulls out like his computer. He's on an airplane. He pulls out his computer, opens it up on his middle seat tray and then like opens up iMovie, pulls down like the person next to him's tray, puts his camcorder with all his tapes there, pulls down the other person's tray, puts his like stack of CDs as he's like editing to a Baja Men song. And he's like editing this video for his girlfriend on the plane. And I remember that commercial blew me away, like the idea that you could have a laptop, something I had never even used, much less thought I could own, that could actually edit video, like on a, what? Like this guy is on an airplane and he's making a movie. This is crazy. I know that seems something we kind of just expect at this point, but ah, it's crazy. That was really exciting. So around that same time, I also, in 2001, I started interning at a local TV station and like a TV news station and everything there was still beta tape. So it was beta to beta and you beta believe that was um, a difficult way to edit, but it was cool using the more like professional level, like VCRs. And the reason they were cool was because you could set really precise in and out points like to the frame. So you would like, you'd have a tape that you were recording to and a tape you were recording from. So the one you're recording to, you would put it in a VCR and it'd be there and you had like this little control panel, which was kind of cool, like big physical buttons and dials. If you've seen the uh, Blackmagic speed editor for DaVinci Resolve, it kind of looks like that, like a big knob and some buttons and things. And you could go to exactly where you wanted, hit an it in point. You could even go and hit an out point if you wanted to like insert something in between two clips. And then you would go to your, the tape that you were taking footage from, do the same thing, find your in and your out point. And then you would push like this automate button and the VCRs would like rewind and sync and then record like automatically to the frame. It was very, very cool. It's very, very time consuming because you had to do that every time you wanted any shot anywhere. And then if you wanted to like move stuff around, you essentially had to record a whole chunk of your timeline to a tape, put that on another tape, put in your other shop, shot, re-record that part of the timeline back. But the cool thing with these like beta decks was that there wasn't that quality loss from tape to tape. So it still looked as good. It's, you know, it was all standard definition stuff, but it still looked the same quality as before. And that was, that was pretty fun. I stayed at the TV station for a few years. And by the time I was leaving, I had been able to start to learn like basic Avid stuff, which they eventually did move into, like they were starting to move into digital nonlinear editing and Avid which still all had to be recorded down to a tape. And then when the news broadcast started, I had to physically like run a big cart of tapes like into the master control room so that they could put the tapes in order in all the decks there so that, you know, when they wanted to show a B-roll clip or play a recorded package, someone in another room would just press play. <laughs> and then it would, it was like, it's crazy that that's just how it worked for decades. But yeah, so that was kind of like where I started iMovie was really simple, and then the TV station got Avid. There was this really basic version of Avid 
um, that was like, I forget what it was called. It was intended for newsrooms and it was supposed to be really, really quick, even like quick cut or something. And it was supposed to be so like a, a field reporter could get their stuff, edit something together super quickly and then put it out like on TV. So it didn't have like huge effects or collaborative stuff, but the TV station's promotion department, which produced like local commercials and maybe some of the more like in-depth news stories, kind of the stuff that had like more graphics and more production value. They had like regular avid media composer or whatever the version of that was in 2003, (laughs) 2002, 2003. And we're editing stuff there. So I started learning that, which was really fun. And then I tried to get like, what was it like avid express or something? It was like a home version you could get, which I could never get working because I didn't have a computer powerful enough to get it. So if you don't know what avid is, uh, avid is very high level professional editing software. It is incredibly complex to use and requires pretty insane infrastructure to set up. It might be slightly different now, but it's for the most part, it's not really something that you can just take and install on like your computer. You kind of need like infrastructure to run it. It is incredibly powerful. It is probably, I'm speaking very much like above my pay grade here, but it is probably the most common editing software that you're going to see for like movies and TV shows and stuff. Most of them are probably being edited on Avid. So at least up to this point, if you wanted to be successful in those fields, learning Avid is really, really important. And it is tough software to use. Everything about all the other software that like works to be intuitive and user-friendly, no, Avid does not care about that at all. Avid does its own thing, its own way. Uh, and it's it's kind of awful to use. <laughs> like honestly, it's in my experience, my personal preference. But, the, but it is really powerful, especially in a time when things were very limited with like number of um, layers you could have. Avid was like, you can just have all the layers of audio and video. So all a lot of the features that now we do kind of expect in editing software, Avid sort of like did that many years earlier. And I think the biggest advantage to Avid is its collaborative quality because it's much more capable to have of having like multiple people work on the same project at the same time, even from different locations. So if you think of like a a Hollywood level production where you're going to have like, I don't know, like an editing facility that's doing the post-production, they're working on something. And then someone at the studio needs to go in and change something. And someone over here needs to come in and add something. And it, it can all just sort of be done simultaneously at the same time. That is sort of a thing that Avid like pioneered and worked really well for that industry. And then especially in like the mid 2000s, 2010, all the movie studios, all the like the amount of money that was invested in Avid systems was massive. And honestly, I think that's really the reason why it's still popular is because they invested the money in it. They're not going to then just get Final Cut or let's just go to Resolve now, even though there are you know, movies and TV shows edited on the other software too, of course. But I think there's the big infrastructure still so avid based just just because of the sunk cost of this was the horse we bet on. And it works. It works. It gets the job done. It works. You know, obviously it works really well, but it's it's such a pain to use. I love video editing and I hate video editing with avid. So it doesn't work for me. If you're an avid editor, I, I know I might be wrong. And obviously, if it's the only thing you use for years and years, you probably get pretty 
pretty adept at it. But it is, to me, not a fun workflow at all. It's like not enjoyable to work with Avid at all. But I wanted to make sure to acknowledge Avid because it's, you know, it's silly to talk about like, well, pro-level software and not talk about the one that is kind of the pro-level software. But for it's kind of one of those things like if you need to use Avid, you know you need to use Avid. So if you're somebody who's starting out and you're like, should I use Final Cut or Resolve or whatever? You probably don't need to even think about Avid, but it's good to know that it exists, right? So that's that's kind of where we're at there. And then there's the other stuff, like I mentioned earlier, there's free software, which is amazing stuff like iMovie or Windows Movie Maker or any of that kind of stuff. Uh, the free software is great. Like you can, it's way more powerful than probably the first version of Avid was that it was working on at the TV station. So no complaints there and it's free. So it makes everything super accessible and easy for everyone. No complaints there. But if you get into video editing, you pretty quickly hit a ceiling where you're like, I wish I could do this, but I just can't. And that's where the more pro or prosumer level editing software comes in and sort of like takes that ceiling off of things and lets you go, you know, go pretty crazy. And really the the main three are... Premiere, Resolve, and Final Cut Pro. So that's that is the um, twenty-one minute version of how to how I got to the point of talking about these three programs specifically. If you know me, you know I'm a Final Cut Pro editor. I have been for over ten years at this point, and I taught it specifically for nine years because I taught I taught digital media like exclusively for nine years. But in my other two years of teaching, I also taught digital media stuff like yearbook and things, but it wasn't the main part of my job. So I never know if I should say I taught this for nine years or 11 years, but I taught it like, you know, sun up to sundown every day for nine years. So I like Final Cut Pro. Um, that's the one I've used the other stuff. I've used Premiere. So like back in going back to my high school days, um, I didn't have a Mac and it couldn't get a Mac. So Premiere was the thing that I used because I had a a bootleg copy that someone from the TV station gave me. <laughs> and it was like Premiere CS1 or something. And I had that on a computer that kind of worked. So I was using Premiere, which, were, which worked really well because all the editors were, they were really, really based on like tape to tape processes of in and out points. And it was, they, it translated very well if you had learned how to edit tape to tape to then going to a nonlinear editor. Um, it worked pretty well. I don't remember what version of Premiere that was. And then it was just, I just didn't use it anymore. Once I got a Mac, I just had iMovie because I couldn't afford anything else. And then finally, in uh, I bought Final Cut Pro just coincidentally, right when Final Cut Pro 10 was released. So I guess let's, let's back up real quick, just to go back to my biases. I'm a Final Cut Pro editor. I like Final Cut Pro. Also, this seems like a brilliant marketing strategy, but it's not. I did complete my Final Cut Pro editing course this past week, and it is available. So if you want to learn how to edit with Final Cut Pro, you can go to learnfinalcutpro.com and sign up. And yes, I am amazed that that URL was available for $12. That was awesome. But So I want to just state my bias. I've used this program the most. It's the one I prefer the most. I also have a course all about how to edit with it. So, you know, it kind of, you could easily say it serves me if people want to learn how to edit Final Cut Pro because, you know, then they might want a course on Final Cut Pro. But I fully recognize that it is, it's not the most popular option. 
It's not necessarily the best option for everybody. It's just the one I prefer. So I'll definitely explain that. But I also want to dive into the other options as well um, because I've used all of them. But the thing with Final Cut Pro is that prior to 2012-ish, I think that's when Final Cut Pro 10 came out, 2011-2012, Final Cut was really popular. There was like Avid, Premiere just sort of, it just sort of became a mess and just sort of did its own thing over here. And then Final Cut came out. Um, they had all these different versions, like Final Cut 1, 2, 3, all the way up to Final Cut 7. And that was like gaining a lot of traction. It was a very popular, like if you're not using Avid, you're using Final Cut Pro. What nobody thinks about Premiere. And then what Apple did was they went from Final Cut 7 to Final Cut 10. And Final Cut Pro 10 was very, very different. And that just happened to randomly be right when I just, it was when I moved into digital media and I, like they already had Final Cut on the computers there. So I was like, that's what I got to learn. And I bought Final Cut Pro and learned it on the fly to teach it. So, um, and that, there's a couple things about that. So the reason people were mad about Final Cut Pro then was because they really took away a lot of the pro level functionality, which is sort of like expensive iMovie. It was still $300, but iMovie's free. And they were kind of the same. They looked the same. Final Cut didn't have that much more functionality than iMovie. And so what a lot of people did was they were like, I can't keep using this. Some people hung on to Final Cut 7 for a long time, but as like HD and more advanced workflows became more popular, it didn't support that and different codecs and things. So people had to move on from Final Cut 7. And then Premiere like sort of cobbled itself together into something that was... um, more functional and probably more reminiscent of Final Cut 7. And there was a huge like wave of people that moved over to Premiere and Final Cut just lost so much of its like of its market share there. And because people just felt like this is not pro software. And it, it, it wasn't. For me learning it though, it was great because it was like pretty simple. And then every time they updated it, it was like a little more advanced. And now, you know, over a decade later, it's full-fledged, super advanced, amazing editing software. But I think there are a lot of people who left when they switched from 7 to 10 and just sort of assume like, nope, that's what Final Cut Pro is and has been. And it's not, but it's also Apple's fault for pushing people away and making them think that. So, you know, I don't blame anybody for thinking that way. But anyway, that's sort of like the the deal with Final Cut Pro. It was really popular. It lost popularity. It gained more popularity in the 2010s because especially as like online video and YouTube came out, it's kind of the perfect like solo editor software. Um, It just, for many reasons, it just kind of is. And so it, it became for a long time, almost like the default YouTube software, unless you were like a filmmaker channel, then you were Premiere. And then more recently now Resolve has popped up and that is very, that's a very interesting thing to talk about. So that's kind of like the, that's my history with Final Cut Pro, but also sort of where it is right now. And the Resolve thing is interesting. So Premiere, this is, this is why like, it's almost like, I don't know, this is fascinating to me. So Premiere had a big advantage in the early 2010s, mid 2010s over Final Cut, because it was so fully featured and the thing with Adobe is their software plays so well together. You know, if you want to, it all just mushes together really well. Adobe's subscription model and plans and pricing is created by Satan himself. And it's one of the worst things you will have to encounter. I am not joking when I say that like a significant portion of my job as a high school teacher 
ended up becoming Adobe Enterprise Management because I had to manage it for my whole program, which then also was just randomly the district too and other schools and other programs. And so the hours I spent just trying to deal with stupid Adobe like billing permissions and account access and ugh, like hours and hours each week, on, which isn't even my, like, that's not not my job, not the thing I'm getting paid to do. It's just on top of it. So I kind of hate Adobe stuff for that. As good as the software is, there's some that I really love, like Audition but and Photoshop. But I um, I just can't, like, I'm definitely against Adobe just for what a pain it is to bring in their stupid billing subscription stuff is awful um, and just terrible. But their software is good and their software plays really well together. And if you use a lot of their different applications and you want them to work together, it's pretty amazing. And so that was a huge advantage over Final Cut Pro. However, a big reason that Apple switched from Final Cut Pro 7 to 10 was not just to make everybody mad and leave, but it was to rebuild the software from scratch. Because Final Cut Pro 7, I don't know much about code and code architecture and stuff, but my limited understanding is original Final Cut and all that software was built on essentially what is like old code and an old foundation. And they were trying to build and get more advanced and stuff's moving into high definition and 4Ks on the horizon and, you know, more powerful computers. And this, this code is essentially not going to be able to handle it or adapt to it. So they basically just ended it and started from scratch with something that was going to be much more modern, stable and compatible into the future. It meant they had to start from scratch and build up from nowhere. That's also what Resolve did, but Resolve was smart. I don't know when Resolve came out, honestly. Uh, 2015 to 2017, I think, is when Resolve was launched. They kind of sat back, Blackmagic kind of sat back and watched this, and then when they launched Resolve, it's sort of the same thing. It's built on a modern, I don't know, architecture, foundation, so that way it can work really well. Premiere gobbled up all of those like legacy Final Cut users and is still running on like the same code base from like 2000, uh, which is, it, it's it's like, a, well, it's like a spaceship that's just running on duct tape and super glue and prayers, you know, like it, it's, the fact that it works is pretty amazing, but it, it also has so many problems and is so clunky. And I think Adobe's in a really difficult situation because they were able to take advantage of this by not blowing up what they did and taking all the users who were mad at like Final Cut. But now it's been so long, Apple, it's almost like Sony and Canon. Like Sony came out with mirrorless cameras and they were great. They could do, they could do cool stuff, but they were super limited, super unreliable. But over the years, Sony like built them up to be really good and reliable. And then Canon, who was like, well, we'll just keep doing the thing we're doing that's super reliable and people love and then when it came push push came to shove and they had to jump into mirrorless, it was a very tough transition and a lot of growing pains that are still happening and still being resolved now, years later. I think Adobe's in that same spot where it's like they've been able to keep a lot of people happy because they sort of kept things going. But like the day of reckoning is upon them where they're going to have to adapt and change things. And I don't know how they're going to do that smoothly because going from just one regular version to another is not a smooth process, much less like something that's built entirely differently. So I think I'm, yeah, I, I mean, you can probably tell my bias against 
Premiere and stuff. Not that it's not amazing software, but it's Adobe sucks at like managing their software. And I, it's, it's frustrating because I feel like there are a lot of really good people building this stuff and it's not able to do what they would want it to do the way they would want to do it because of a bunch of other reasons beyond their control. So anyway, that's kind of where Resolve came out was like watching all these mistakes being made and then let's learn from that and then release our own thing that is kind of going to be pretty revolutionary in a big way. So there's Final Cut. Final Cut Pro also you buy it for $300 and then it's yours forever. At least up until now, I know there's rumors of Apple doing subscription services, which would be an absolute nightmare. But for now, it's a $300 purchase, always has been. The one I bought in 2011 or 12 or whatever, that, I think it was 2011, that is the, still the same license that I use for all of my YouTube videos. Like, it still gets updated. It's been installed on all my computers over the years, that one purchase done. And if you're a student in, like, high school or college, you can get, like, it's almost like a 50% discount on not just Final Cut, but you also get Motion and Logic. So you get like all of Apple's pro software, which is pretty amazing. Like Logic is really good. It's definitely a standard. And Motion is super underrated. It's almost like Apple's After Effects, not as fully featured as After Effects, but really good and really underrated software. Um, So that's pretty cool. You can get that for like $170, $200 or something if you're a student, that whole package, which is awesome. Premiere is part of any number of Adobe's stupid cloud subscription things that are awful. Um, So it's going to cost you somewhere between $20 and $30 a month to get Premiere. Um, Apple usually does like one moderate update a year, modest update a year to their software. Maybe a couple minor ones. Every few years, it seems like they do a bigger one. but, But it's like... The risky thing with Final Cut is it almost seems like Apple forgets that they have it, <laughs> which is scary. And then they show up and they say like, no, we know we've been neglecting our pro users. So we're going to be really be focusing on that. But then nothing really happens. And so my conflict with Final Cut is I love it and I want to keep using it. But my fear is that Apple's going to suddenly just like end it or make it a subscription model or do something like that. But the other hand is like if they just keep doing what they're doing and just sort of let it be and just do little like incremental updates every year. I actually love that because it's super reliable in the 11 years, including teaching that I've used Final Cut. I've only had it actually like crash crash where things got lost and there was problems twice. That's pretty good Um, because when it comes to something like Premiere, I've had it do that um, literally every time I've used the application without exaggeration. Every time I've ever worked on a project in Premiere, it has crashed and caused problems at some point. And that is across many different computers, both PC and Mac, across many different years from 2004 all the way up to, I think the last time I used Premiere really was like 2020. Uh, And then I just was like, I'm not doing this anymore. So the reliability for me just is not there with Premiere. Plus it's a subscription plan. Plus, it's built on ancient architecture. Uh, just not, not a fan of it. The, the capabilities and the features are really good. And if you are somebody, I don't. If you're a Premiere user, I don't want to just be like I'm bashing the thing that you love. If you're somebody who uses other Adobe software, it completely makes sense why you would want to use Premiere. Like if you're if you've ever done the Final Cut to After Effects workflow, it's awful. If you've ever done the Premiere to After Effects workflow, it's amazing. Like it, it's instantaneous. 
So totally understand that. And if you're somebody the same way that I've used Final Cut Pro for many years, and I, I know it like the back of my hand, if that's what you've done with Premiere, you've used it for many years, you know it like the back of your hand, totally makes sense why you would want to stick with it. And, you know, um, I totally, totally get that. And it is really good, really capable software. It's the reliability that gets me and then the stupid subscription pricing that gets me, which has really nothing to do with the features or the capability of the actual software itself. But that does come down to, I honestly don't think I would recommend personally anybody start learning Premiere right now. It feels like a, unless you need the other software, if you need something else in Adobe and it's going to tie into your video editing workflow, then it makes sense. Otherwise, I would be very wary of learning Premiere right now from scratch. And I would definitely consider learning something like Resolve. Obviously, I love Final Cut, but I kind of think Resolve is a very smart choice for people to learn if they're starting from scratch. Bet you didn't that you didn't expect that. Bet you thought I was going to say, this is why Resolve is bad and you should learn Final Cut. I have nothing bad to say about DaVinci Resolve. I think it is amazing software and I appreciate it very, very much. And I've you know, dabbled in learning it, but it's so frustrating when you're really familiar with something, you know, like I can, I can do everything I want to do in Final Cut Pro, like quickly and easily. And then I go to Resolve and I'm working and it's just I'm constantly going over to a Google window. DaVinci Resolve, how to do X, Y, Z. Okay. DaVinci Resolve, how to do, you know, one, two, three. Okay. And that's just, it's part of the learning process. You you have to do it. And I know if I were just like, I'm only going to use Resolve for two months or something, I would learn it really well. But I have no, like, I have no urge to do that because I still love Final Cut. So I'm actually very interested in the Final Cut versus Resolve discussion. Um, the things about Resolve is pretty amazing. Uh, it's free. The basic version of the software is free, which can edit up to 4K video has a, basically if you're not doing something crazy like 360 video or you need a ton of effects editing and stuff you're not really going to be limited by the software and if you do find yourself being limited and you need to buy it it's the same price as final cut pro it's 300 dollars one time and you're done so both final cut and resolve are just one-time purchases and you're done and if you buy a black magic camera so if you buy any of like the pocket cinema cameras some of their other equipment too but especially their cameras it comes with Resolve for free. So that's pretty cool. And it's Mac and PC compatible. So um, as far as capabilities and things, doesn't really matter on the platform. But that's the other thing with Final Cut Pro is it's $300, which is very affordable, but it's Mac only, obviously, because Apple makes it. So it's $300 plus having a Mac, <laughs> which is, you know, potentially a little bit pricey. But I think it's I still think that it's really worth it. And the biggest strength of Final Cut Pro, since they're not developing it for multiple platforms, is it runs so well and it's so reliable and fast and optimized and just stable. Like it, that's, I, I think that can't really be understated because you, you start to take it for granted really quickly. And then when you run and use something else that's not like that, it, it really makes you realize, oh shoot, what I had was really good. Resolve, in my experience, at least I've only ever used it on a Mac, is also really stable and really fast. It works great. Like I said, I have nothing bad to say about Resolve. It's really good software and it's super, super powerful. And there's there's two very interesting things. One is my appreciation for Resolve comes from being a teacher because I taught my students Final Cut Pro. 
the program I worked in was a Mac Labs in, at both schools. So always taught Final Cut Pro. That's what I use. But students, you know, I couldn't like give them access to that. I was able to, through that nightmare of Adobe subscription stuff, get Adobe Creative Cloud accounts for all of our students, which was not fun to manage, but it did mean that they had access to this stuff. So if they had a Mac or a PC at home, if they had a computer at home, which most of my students didn't, but if they did, they could install their stuff and try to run um, Premiere or something so they could edit at home or, or use Photoshop or whatever. And that was really cool because it's Mac and PC compatible. Very much appreciate that. Um, but then I became tech support for the nightmarish process of, I'm trying to install Premiere, but having this problem, you know, and I know if they're running an ancient computer, it's not Adobe's fault. But what I did notice was there were a lot of students who either didn't want to do the Adobe stuff or it was like in the times before we had that access to that software would just go download Resolve because I would tell them about it. be like, hey, I sort of had like a resource thing of like, here's some free stuff. You can go sound effects, music, editing software. And a bunch of students would go home and download Resolve because they could use it for free. And then they would learn it and they loved it. And I never had to play tech support with Resolve. Like, I don't think literally ever, other than like, how do I do something in it, but not installing it, running it, it's crashing my computer. I'm just realizing this right now. I never had that question once ever, which is pretty impressive because if someone's going to break something, it's definitely going to be a high school student who's just starting out with it and like poking buttons to see what things do. So that's pretty impressive. And they could get it for free. Didn't matter what operating system they were using and then start learning it there. And I had a lot of students who then, you know, that's what they preferred. Like they would come in and when, even when they're in class, they would want to work with Resolve instead of Final Cut, which was fine with me. Same with Premiere. If a student had, like really wanted to use Premiere, I never ever forced them to learn Final Cut. That was just what like I officially taught as part of the class, what all of our you know in-class lessons were based on. But if a student wanted to do something else, totally, totally free to do that. Like <laughs> Very important to let that happen. And so seeing that, I guess you could literally call it empowerment that Resolve gave to my students was really like, it really gave me an appreciation for that software and it's really good software. Like it, it sort of does the best job of taking some of the best features of Final Cut Pros, like reliability, simplicity, user friendliness with like Premiere's advanced, like hodgepodge of features even then into some of the old school, like even more like Avid and old school, like traditional editing, like structure and smashes it into one thing that actually works really well. And it, it like almost without you realizing it just by clicking the little tabs at the bottom of the screen that go through the different, like, you know, the cut, the organized page, the cut page, whatever different pages they have. It takes you through the whole editing process, right? From like importing your footage to exporting your footage after editing it without you having to figure out what you're missing along the way. You just kind of go left to right and then you're done. It's great software to learn. And I think this was, oh, this must have been like a year and a half ago. I was talking to Raphael Ludwig. It might've even been on the episode he was on here on this podcast. Raphael's amazing. If you haven't checked out his YouTube channel yet, do it. He's great. And he is... Wait, is he a, actually Raphael? If you're listening, I'm sorry. I don't remember if you are a Resolve person or a Final Cut person or a, I don't, I don't remember. Or if you're an everything person, but I remember Raphael's prediction was that, and this was a couple years ago, 
within five or so years, Resolve was going to be like the main editor. And his reasoning for that was because it is free to start, at least. Like you can use the free version in perpetuity. It's not like a trial version. It doesn't run out. There's no watermarks. Some of the features are a little limited, but that's it. So you could do everything on the free version. But because it is free and accessible, it's the thing that somebody, when they're 16, instead of me getting a bootleg premiere from somebody at a TV station, you can just legally go to Blackmagic's website, download Resolve for free on whatever computer you have, and then start editing right away. You know, performance will vary depending on your computer. Then, after a couple of years with that, so say you're 16 and you do that, then you start working with that software for a few years, and now you're 19 or 20, maybe you have a little bit of money for software, maybe you're going to school for this and you want to you know, learn more about it, or you're starting to take on clients or something, and you're going to spend money on your editing software, why would you buy something else? Why would you buy an Adobe subscription or Final Cut Pro? Why wouldn't you just buy the thing that you already know how to use? And I think that Raphael's right. I think there's an entire generation of editors and video production creators who are kind of growing up with Resolve, and not even growing up, because I think it's past that now. I think they're like coming of age with Resolve, and those numbers are just going to continue to go up and up. And now what I've seen is so many people are switching over to Resolve, both from Premiere and Final Cut Pro. It's sort of like the the thing to do now is to switch to Resolve, which is why it makes me think like, yeah, if you're starting from scratch right now, Resolve is almost like the smartest thing to learn. And I feel like the transition, if you ever wanted to do something else from like Resolve to Final Cut, it's a pretty easy transition. That being said, though, the reason why I'm still in on the Final Cut train and why I released the course on Final Cut, why I still love Final Cut, is because I think as much as there are great things about Resolve, again, I have zero bad things to say about Resolve, it's amazing. I think there are a lot of people who are leaving Final Cut for Resolve, maybe not because the software is bad, but for a couple of other reasons. I think a big reason is boredom which is totally fine. Like I was talking to Peter Lindgren a while ago um, about cameras, shockingly enough. And he was talking about like, he really wanted a new camera. And I was like, oh, like, you know, he has a couple Sony A7S threes. I was like, oh, like, you know, do you not like the A7S three? He's like, no, it's, it's like the perfect camera. It does everything I need. But he has two of them. He's been using them daily since they came out in 2020. So two and a half years, almost three years at this. No, yeah, two and a half years at this point-ish. And you know, he uses his cameras a lot, like thousands and thousands of hours on these cameras. And he's just kind of like, I just kind of want, you know, just want something different, like just want to try something different, which is a very valid thing. Like that's, you know, it's a very valid thing to feel. And I think that there are a lot of people with Final Cut Pro that sort of feel that way. And I've felt that way when I go into Resolve and I'm like, oh, it's kind of cool. Like it's a different interface. Things work a little differently. I can do this over here. Like it's really good software. So I think a lot of people switch just out of boredom. Because it's like, I've been using this thing, now I want to use this thing over here. And I think that's a very valid reason to switch. I do think, I do think though, that one potential mistake is what I mentioned a while ago, and that's people uh, taking for granted Final Cut Pro. The stability, the speed, the just the reliability of everything with it, and just sort of assuming like, that's how everything else is going to be. Because this isn't criticism of Resolve, but... It is something where it's like, hmm, 
my exported file doesn't look quite like my timeline file. Hmm. Like there's, there's, it's not that the program is doing anything wrong, but it, it requires a lot more like hands-on work to sometimes get the same result you would get in Final Cut Pro without having to do anything. And I think that's something you kind of take for granted when you use, like, you know, I love Final Cut because I don't really have to think about Final Cut that much. Like, I think about my project. I put the stuff in. I work on what I'm working on. The software, like, kind of just gets out of the way and lets me... It's the closest thing to being able to just move stuff around with my hands in the way that I want as possible versus, like, feeling like I have to use a computer to create something. And to me, that's a hugely valuable thing of Final Cut Pro, and it's a big reason why I absolutely love the software in addition to like seeing how easy it is to teach Final Cut Pro like I don't as a thinking back to teaching when I started teaching digital media I would start with iMovie and then we'd move into Final Cut Pro sophomore year so freshman year would be working with iMovie just the basics and then sophomore year we'd move into Final Cut Pro I did that for like one or two years and then very quickly I was like no we're just starting day one freshman year Final Cut Pro that's it and, you know, sometimes kids would get sort of confused, but it would literally be like one or two quick projects and they would have the basics down. Like, and they'd be exporting stuff that looked good and the controls are simple to use. And again, you know, classes of 40 to 50 students at a time, 250-ish students total, they're not breaking the software constantly. Like, I'm not being tech support for the software. They need to learn how to use features and things, but the software, like, handled it to me that said so much about final cut pro and how well it's made and how well it's and just what good software it is that that really like you know i don't know it it led me to really just appreciate it more it's not the best software if you need to be collaborative like you can kind of share a library or move a library around but it's not really great software for being collaborative it's definitely more of like if not one person at least one computer like you know, one team at a time working on a project. Premiere, I think, has more, It's it seems like it's trying to go more in the way of Avid in terms of collaborative features. Um, and Resolve, I think, is kind of somewhere in the middle as far as that stuff goes. I honestly don't know too much there, but it's good. It's all, it's all good software. And Resolve now has an iPad version, which is weird because Apple put it in their marketing campaign for their new iPads that just came out showed Resolve editing video on there. And it's like, you guys own Final Cut. <laughs> like, why are you, why are you putting, I know people have been calling for like mobile Final Cut forever. And I don't know if that's Apple's way of saying like, nope or what, but yeah, they put other video editing software on their iPad, which was Resolve. So I don't know what that means for the future of Final Cut or anything. I still love Final Cut. I still believe in it. Um, and I'm going to still keep using it for a long time, but I think it's very interesting to consider other stuff. And I think Resolve is by far the most interesting software because it's also feature-wise kind of the more like more competitive. It's really the one that I can see more like traditional studios and production facilities and stuff gravitating towards because it just kind of is all in one, it just sort of, I don't know, it is a professional piece of software, both that's friendly to new people, but also familiar to those coming from a traditional background. Like Blackmagic did a really good job of kind of hybridizing that and bringing both of those things together. 
and I think that that's pretty fascinating. And Blackmagic also, obviously, like they make cameras. They're really good at listening to customers. They have whole, you know, post-production systems and things. So it is kind of their bread and butter to, you know, make that stuff work together. And it seems like they're doing an amazing job with their their software. So it'd be interesting to see where that goes in the future. One thing I did look up was uh, how many... Um, how many users there are for each of these applications. This is sort of interesting. So (laughs) once again, I think this might be a weird way. Resolve has the fewest users, but in a way, I kind of think they come out on top here. So as of this year, uh, DaVinci Resolve has 2 million active users. So 2 million active users for Resolve. Final Cut Pro in 2018 had 2.5 million active users. Apple, that's the last time they said how many active users there were. So I don't know how many there are. It's been four years. Like, um, I, I'm assuming that number has gone up, but I don't know if it's gone up like exponentially. Macs have gotten bigger, more powerful, more accessible. You know, I, I think of 2018 to 2020 because there was, as much as there was a shift from Final Cut to Premiere, there was in like 2020-ish a shift back from Premiere to Final Cut. A bunch of people were getting tired of Premiere and taking the leap over to Final Cut. And now there's kind of that transition has moved over to a lot of people checking out Resolve. But it makes me think that I can't imagine Final Cut's number going down in four years. So maybe it's still 2.5 million. It wouldn't surprise me if it went up to maybe 3 million or more. So more than Resolve currently. I don't know if it's going to stay that way years in the future, but more currently there are more Final Cut Pro users than Resolve users. Premiere, Adobe says there are 9 million Premiere users. And I don't believe that <laughs> because I, I don't know what an active user means for any of these, honestly. So I don't know if it means like, I don't know what it means. So Adobe does say, I was wondering if, does that mean you have 9 million Creative Cloud users? And you're just saying because Premiere is part of Creative Cloud that there are 9 million Premiere users? No. From what I could find, Adobe has 26 million Creative Cloud users and 9 million Premiere users. So it seems like they are distinguishing, which is good. However, not every Creative Cloud subscription has Premiere in it. So I don't know if that means... I don't know what that means. Like, I don't know if those 9 million people are, are people who are working in the software. The same way I don't know if 2 million people are actively working in Resolve or 2.5 or 3 million are actively working in Final Cut. I kind of think, though, what Adobe is saying is there are 9 million people with Creative Cloud with Premiere installed. I'm one of those. I'm not a Premiere user. So that's why I, I kind of don't think there's... I don't buy it that there's that big of a difference between the other two and Premiere. Maybe there is. Maybe there is. I kind of don't buy it, especially, again, having worked on the 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 back admin side of Adobe account management. I don't, I just don't trust that at all, (laughs) honestly. Um, But it's interesting. So it kind of sees, I do believe whatever the number is, I do believe that Premiere has the most users out of these three currently. I totally would believe that. I don't know what the margin is. I don't think it's like six or 7 million users. Um, But I do believe that it would be the most, maybe by several million. Um, I could definitely buy that. So that's, that's kind of an interesting thing to sort of see 
I would love to get more updated numbers to like find reliable updated numbers on this because I have a feeling Premiere's is going to keep going down, Resolve's is going to keep going up, and Final Cut I kind of feel like might just sort of stay kind of the same, like plateau a little bit, unless Apple wants to do something where they they relaunch it. But again, going back to the stability, I like that Final Cut doesn't get a lot of updates, you know, because it works and it doesn't mess things up right in the middle of a project. Resolve, I think, is pretty similar. I think Resolve does like one major update a year, which is usually quite major, but it seems like it's still pretty stable. Even though they upgrade a lot, it seems like it's pretty stable. And they're also super clear on like, you could download the old version or you could go to the new version. Like they're not forcing anyone to upgrade. Again, Adobe, they do their one annual update, their big update where things go from like Premiere 2022 to 2023, Photoshop 22 to 23. Like they do that every year, but they do so many other updates, which seems like a nice thing until you realize it, it can ruin everything. And even though I have like auto updates turned off on my Adobe account, there are still times when stuff gets updated (laughs) that I didn't ask to have it updated. And then it can cause problems because the last thing you want to do in a big video project is then do some kind of update that's going to change the library or the files or how the codecs work. Like, and it feels like Premiere does that constantly. So it's, I, I just, sorry, I've been burned too many times. A couple of years ago, I thought I was being too harsh on Premiere. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to only use Adobe Premiere for at least a month. Like I'm not going to, I'm not even going to open Final Cut Pro. It's not an option. I'm going to pretend it doesn't exist and do all my projects, both for my YouTube channel and for my day job. Because we were working on some like special projects at my teaching job at the time. I was like, only going to use Premiere for everything. I made it 14 days before I was like, screw it given up. I was going to make a whole video about it and everything. And I was like, nope, no, no, because it crashed every day. And this was different projects on different computers, different operating, like it, it just crashed every time. And, and in new computers, like this was when like the iMac pro was new. So what I was running on iMac pro crashed a bunch of times running on my personal MacBook crashed running on a regular iMac. It's crashed like, Oh, and then you can set it to auto save, but it doesn't actually auto save all the time. It's just kind of random. Whereas like Final Cut Pro constantly saves. So even if it crashes, you just reopen it. It's right back where you were. Um, and Resolve, I honestly can't figure out Resolve's auto save stuff. It seems like it does a pretty good job, but it also lets you manually save. So I'm still doing like manual saving to be safe when I use Resolve, but it also, I've never had Resolve crash or mess up on me either. So I want to give it credit where credit is due as far as that goes. Um, so yeah, that's, I know I, f- I feel, ba- I feel genuinely bad for saying so many negative things about Premiere. The software is good. The underlying like foundation of it is um, outdated. And I think that's causing problems. And then Adobe because simultaneously they're they're working with outdated software and trying to continuously update it constantly. It's like you, your you know, your gas tank is on empty, but you're still putting the pedal to the metal. Like, don't do that. You know, maybe take some time to rebuild your engine a little bit and help the car run a little bit better. And Adobe just isn't doing that. I don't know if they can do that. Like, I don't know if they can. It's going to be interesting to see. They have to switch to a more modern version of Premiere at some point. 
I think ideally they would like it to look and work the same as the current version. I don't know if that's going to be possible or not. And I don't know what that transition is going to look like. And it seems like it might be kind of risky for Premiere, at least in terms of people who don't need other Adobe software. So they're pretty set. If you need After Effects, Premiere makes so much sense. If you don't need any other Adobe stuff, though, it's really hard to find compelling reasons why you should pay a monthly subscription where you're going to be paying the cost of Premiere or Resolve over and over and over again just to use less reliable software when there is stuff like Final Cut or Resolve that, I think I said Premiere a minute ago, there's stuff like Final Cut or Resolve that will just do the job so much better and so much more reliably. So those are my thoughts. <laughs> if you want to, uh, you know, if you disagree with me or I, I had a whole blind spot here or something, feel free to let me know about that. Again, this is all just my personal opinion, my own experience here. I still am a Final Cut Pro person and as excited as I am to see Resolve grow and become more popular, I do think that there are a number of people who are being potentially a bit short-sighted by just getting shiny object syndrome and not necessarily thinking about what really is best for them and going to work best for them because the quality of life with Final Cut Pro is so good. And the magnetic timeline, as controversial as that was when it came out, so frustrating to edit without it now, at least for the kind of work that I do. I guess it depends on the kind of work that you're doing, of course, too. Um, but yeah, I'm, I love Final Cut Pro. I really, really, really hope that there's a strong future for the application. And if you want to learn more about Final Cut Pro, you can go to learnfinalcutpro.com and check out my course, which is just how I edit with it. It's not the, it's not an instruction manual for everything Final Cut Pro. It's just me going through a project from start to finish, uh, which is a shocking number of hours uh, to, to do that, but literally from importing the footage to creating a project, to exporting and uploading it to YouTube, an actual like YouTube video that I made. And it also has uh, supplemental lessons for things that aren't like, I didn't use titles or transitions in that project. So I did a, an extra lesson that's all about titles and transitions or editing your audio with an advanced editor, shooting with two cameras, like all that kind of stuff. Um, I've tried to include supplemental things within the course that goes beyond just the main project of the course. And I'm excited because I can keep updating it over time as I keep learning more about the program. So uh, learn FinalCutPro.com for that, which is really cool. If you are starting from scratch, um, and especially if you don't yet want to invest any money, download Resolve too. Like go to Blackmagic's website. I'll put a link in the show notes even if you just want to go download DaVinci Resolve. It just had a recent pretty big update that might be interesting and fun to check out. Um, you can see if you like it. Again, it's super duper capable software. Even the free version is not crazy limited like you would expect it to be. And you can check that out. And another thing you could check out is the sponsor of this episode, Riverside.fm. So if you do still want to Maybe you want files to edit, right? You want to get independent audio and video files to put in your editing software? Well, you could do that with a guest using riverside.fm and you can use the link in the description to get use the link in the description along with promo code TOM15 to get 15% off your subscription to riverside.fm, who again, I am very thankful for for sponsoring this episode and this season of the podcast. Thanks so much for listening to my thoughts about uh, editing software feels really good to get that out, honestly. <laughs> and I'd love to know, again, share your thoughts with me. If you want to leave a speak pipe message, you can go to HiMyNameIsTom.com or you can send me an email or message. Whatever you want to do, all links are in the 
description. And I appreciate your time and I hope you have a safe, happy, healthy, fun rest of your week. And I will see you next time.